have your Bibles, open up with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be continuing our study verse by verse through the book of Acts, learning from the first church, taking some lessons that we see throughout the Bible, and then applying them here at our church. How many of you had a pawpaw that used to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Anybody had one of those, right? And so that's kind of the idea behind studying Acts. We want to go back to the Bible. We want to go back to the beginning. We want to go back to the basics and learn from the first church the way that they lived and prayed and the way they gathered and the way that they honored God and then apply that here to our church so that way we can learn how to be the church that God has called us to be. And so by now you should find yourself in Acts chapter eight. And here's the title for the sermon, How God Grows His Church. Who's excited to be a part of a church that is growing? Who loves being a part of a growing church? Man, I love watching. God grow his church. Just a few weeks ago, we had 38 baptisms. God is growing his church, amen? Just last week, we had 12 child dedications. God is growing his church. And that's the fun way to grow a church, right? Making disciples and making some babies. Like, that's the fun way. That's the good way to grow a church. We're putting the fun back in fundamentalism here at Redemption. Come on. God is growing his church. First Wednesday is coming up and every week at First Wednesday, we are seeing record number of attendance where people are praying and the altars are filled, not just during the prayer parts, but during the sermon, like so standing room only, people are sitting on the ground because the church that is praying, God is growing his church. Over half of our church is in small groups. More than 50% of our church is serving on a Sunday. Can we give it up for our serve team? God's growing his church. It's exciting. We're at four services. Who's ready for five services on a Sunday? I'm ready. I'll preach 10 services. I don't care, right? I just love seeing God grow his church. And if you're new, I got some exciting news, but we have actually uh, purchased a building and this is our future home at Redemption. God is growing his church. And I know you're like, Byron, you've been talking about this building for almost a year. Got any updates for us? Yes, because... Me and Ashley went down to the city this week and our permits are signed and we're gonna get started on the renovations because God is growing his church. It's exciting to be a part of a, a church that is growing, to be a part of a church that isn't talking about what God did, but what God is doing and what God is continuing to do, that the best is yet to come and the future of the church is bright because God is growing his church. And here's gonna be the big idea for the message today is that the goal of the church is growth. And I'm not talking about just a church or any church. I'm talking about the church. That's the capital C, the global church. That's you and me and all other Christians around the world. God desires to see his church grow. We find this all the way at the 
beginning of the book of Acts and what is known as the Great Commission, where Jesus, he gives the final instructions to his disciples who would later go start the church. And here's what he says in Acts 1.8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's goal from the very beginning is that the church would grow, that it would not be limited to a location. It would not be specific to a people or to a place, but that it would become a movement that travels all around the world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every place on the planet be filled with people who come to know the life-changing message that is the gospel. God's goal for the church has been to grow. And I know whenever we talk about church growth in the church, all of a sudden, some people, they get a little nervous and they're like, well, does the church just care about numbers? It's all about the numbers. Well, listen, first of all, there's an entire book of the Bible called Numbers. Um, and so, yes, God does care about the numbers. And here's why. Because behind every number is a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. And so we care about people, which is why we want to see the church continue to grow. But this message is found all throughout the book of Acts. We've seen it thus far in our study, but let me share with you some verses to be able to help build my thesis. Acts 2.41. So those who received his word, they were baptized and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. God loves it when his church grows. 3,000 people. Day one, the church becomes a mega church. Here's what happens, Acts 4, 4. But many who heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. That's just the men, include the women and children. It could be up to 20,000 people so far in Acts up to chapter four, chapter five. And more than ever, the believers were added to the Lord multitudes thousands of men and women, Acts 6, 7. And the word of God continued to what? Increase, that's growth. And the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. God loves it when his church grows. God loves it when people meet Jesus, when souls are saved, when people are baptized, when babies are dedicated. God loves it whenever addictions are broken, when marriages are restored, when a body is healed, when depression is lifted, when friendships are formed, when hope is found, when joy is discovered when souls are saved lives are changed God loves it when the church grows Jesus says there is much rejoicing in heaven when a sinner is saved when they reach repentance because God loves it whenever heaven is populated hell is plundered and lives are changed forever God loves it when the church grows and so I'm not here today to argue for church growth Okay, because I believe that we already see through scripture why God likes it, because God loves every baptism. You see the why in every small group that you go to where someone reads the Bible for the first time. Whenever we have our child dedications, whenever the prayer team is up here laying hands on the sick, we know God loves it. And I'm not here to ask why does God want a church to grow? Because Acts 1.8 tells us it's the great commission. It's to share our faith and to be his witnesses. What I want to ask the question is, is how? How does God grow the church? Because just because something grows 
doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Not all growth is, is good. Like, think about it like this. Trees grow, but so do weeds. Right? Not everything that grows is good. Children grow. My kids grow like weeds. Um, <laughs> but cancer also grows. And it spreads. And it infects. And so not all growth is good. Like you could go to the gym and you can lift and you can grow. Or you can stay home, sit on the couch, and you can grow, right? <laughs> Either way, you're going to grow. But not all growth is good. And so the question for us as a church is, are we going to grow God's way? Are we going to grow our church man's way, our way? Or are we going to grow the church God's way? Which is why we're going back to the book of Acts. We're, we're spending the better part of this year and next year learning from the book of Acts so we can learn how to be the church that God's created us to be. Because look, you throw the building up, like this, this is what's coming for us here at Redemption. I mean, it's a 600 seat sanctuary, 21,000 square feet, nine classrooms. Like God's gonna send people and people are gonna come to our church. But the worst thing is, is if people come to our church and we don't love them like God loves them and teaches them that the church is supposed to be like. And so we have about a year to prepare our hearts to learn how to be the church and grow spiritually before we can expect to grow numerically. And so this is primarily about spiritual growth, not so much about numerical growth. Because I, I believe that if we grow spiritually, the byproduct of that is numerical growth. I'm not super obsessed with like, we need to grow by the numbers. No, we need to grow with our hearts. We need to grow spiritually. And then when we do that, numerically, it's going to take care of itself. And so we want to focus on growing the church God's way. So how do we do that? Well, uh, the text that we're going to be in today actually gives us five ways that God grows his church. The, the first way is found in Acts chapter 7. I know I said 8, but bear with me a little bit. Chapter 7, verse 59. It starts with the prayers of the believers. Look what happens in, in 59. We're, we're going to see Stephen one last time. Have you guys enjoyed the life of Stephen? Man, I have loved studying Stephen's life. And he's got one more lesson to teach us, and it's about the importance of of a church that prays. Look what it says in verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he's the first martyr, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We covered this in great detail last week. You can go back, you can listen on YouTube or on Spotify. It's available online. But Stephen has one last thing that he can teach us, and it's about praying for the lost. The heart of a church is to pray for the lost. Who's, who's Stephen praying for? He, a man named Saul. Saul oversaw the execution of Stephen. We're going to learn a little bit more about him in the next point, and we're going to see his story in Acts chapter 9. But as Saul was overseeing the execution of Stephen, what was Stephen doing? He was praying for the salvation of Paul. And as he was praying for the lost, it began to spark a catalyst that helped the church grow into this next area of the ministry that they've been called to. Because in Acts chapters 6 and 8, it's really a transition period in Acts. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's, there's three primary 
chapters or stories in Acts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So in the first couple of years, the church really had a nice, comfortable um, minus being thrown in prison multiple times and having angels come set them free. But for the most part, they were able to gather and celebrate and to live their lives. And they built quite a large church. Some commentators say within the first three and a half to five years, the church in Jerusalem could have been running upwards of 30,000 people. But God didn't call them to stay in Jerusalem. And so they needed to move to Judea, Samaria. That's the ministry we're entering into right now with the death of Stephen and then to the ends of the earth. And here we also meet Saul, who will later become Paul, who later becomes a missionary, and then he picks up the gospel ministry to the ends of the earth for the remainder of the book until chapter 28 comes along. And then he's in Rome, he's arrested, he's in prison, he's preaching before the the politicians and the governors, and then he's sentenced and executed. And then the book of Acts just closes randomly. It's just over. There's no fairy tale ending. There's no, and they lived happily ever after. It's just over. Why would Acts close without an ending? Because the story of the church is still being written. We're in Acts chapter 29. You and me and redemption, we are the ends of the earth. And it's our turn to carry on the legacy that we have received and leave one for ourselves. Not just to read about the church, but to be the church. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's you and that's me and that's redemption. And that is the church at large today here in our world. It's the message of how do we be the church. And the first thing we see, the catalyst for all of this is a church that prays. There's a story by a a pastor in in England. His name was William Booth. You you may not know who he is. He pastored in the 1800s, so none of y'all were around back then. Um, But you might know about his ministry because today it's known as the Salvation Army. And so he started it as a local church in England and it was growing rapidly. And there were some other pastors in the region who they wanted to see their church grow, but they weren't experiencing the same results that they were experiencing. And so they they wrote him a letter because they couldn't text him or tweet him or tag him in a comment section and asked him, how is your church growing? What should we do? And William Booth wrote him back just two words. Here's what he said, try tears. When was the last time you prayed for the lost? I mean, like really prayed for the lost. Like, like Stephen crying out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. With his last breath, praying that God would save the lost. When was the last time you cleared your schedule, you got on your knees and pulled out a journal and you wrote down people's names and you cried and you wept over those names until tears soaked the paper and you prayed and you said, God, if you don't show up, I don't know what you're gonna do. God, you love them more than I do. Save them, sick the hounds of heaven against them. When was the last time you prayed for the lost? A church that reaches the lost is a church that prays for the lost. A church that changes the city is a church that prays for the city. Listen, God can do more through one prayer than a church can do in decades of planning. It happens when we pray. You want to see people saved? Pray. You want to see healings happen? Pray. You want, to see, you want to see the move of God in our schools here in Southeast Texas? Pray. It happens when the church 
praise. Prayer will change a life. Prayer will change the trajectory of a church. Prayer will change a, a region, a city, a school, a family, a home. It will change your workplace. It could change the nation. Stephen's prayer changed the world. You never know what God will do through one prayer. Pray. Listen, a church is only limited by the size of its prayers. This is why I love being a part of a praying church. First Wednesdays, we pray. This is what we do every first Wednesday. We clear everything and we pray as a church. We gather here and we pray. No small groups, no youth group, no programs, no events, no extra scheduling on the calendar. We clear everything because as a church, we prioritize prayer. And I would say first Wednesdays really is the engine for everything God's doing here at Redemption. It is the fuel on the fire. It is the gasoline on what God is doing as it continues to grow here because as a church, we have just made it a plan to prioritize praying. We pray for the lost. We pray for the sick. We pray for our city. We pray for each other. We pray and we pray. And that's the reason why God is doing what God is doing because We've prioritized prayer together as a church. Here's what I say. If you can only make it to one service, make it to First Wednesday. That's how important it is. What God is doing at First Wednesday really is the catalyst for everything we're seeing elsewhere in the rest of our church because we have to understand that God shows up when his people pray. So we pray. I would say it like this. If you ain't been to First Wednesday, you have not experienced Redemption Church. There's no agenda but Jesus on a first Wednesday. There's no clock. It's just people going after the glory and the presence of God. We pray. That's the first thing that we see. A mark of a growing church is prayer. The second thing is the persecution of the church. Look what happens in, in verse 1. It says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen... And mourned him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church. The, the Greek word there is to ravage. It's the same word used uh, to describe a wild boar in a garden tearing up everything else. It's, it's a ravaging. It's a destroying, like a, like a dog with the bone. It's an attack against the church. And then it goes on and it, it says this. It says, um, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and he put them in prison. God had not yet answered Stephen's prayer. He'll do that in chapter nine. And so we're gonna see the, we're gonna see the change happen in Saul's life over the next couple of verses. But there's a great persecution that breaks out. And now we notice that the church in Jerusalem, it is no longer safe for them to be there. And so they have to scatter all across the region. This is what is theologically known as the diaspora. You'll read about it in First and Second Peter. First John, I believe, talks about it well. It's the great dispersion. It's the, it's, the, it's the diaspora, the spreading out of the church. They can no longer gather publicly, so now they have to scatter all across the region. This is how God fulfills the Great Commission because he never intended for the church to be located in a place, but it has always been about reaching People. And so God uses the persecution and he turns it around as a method to grow the church. So now they're no longer in Jerusalem. Where are they at? They've entered into the Samaritan ministry. They've taken the gospel from Jerusalem. Now they're in Judea and Samaria. And then eventually it's going to reach to the ends of the world. I want you to understand something. That persecution is actually a blessing in disguise. 
Whenever you see an increase of hostility towards the church, towards Christianity, when you see an intensity of the world attacking, criticizing, canceling us for what we believe or for, for the way that we live our lives, when you start hearing things about how Christians are outdated and antiquated and we're on the wrong side of history and our beliefs are outdated and we need to privatize our faith, when you start hearing all that talk, that things that are happening within our culture, you need to recognize that revival is on its way. That God uses persecution as a tool to be able to grow his church. You know where the fastest growing churches in the world are? Persecuted nations. Iran, China, Africa, Muslim countries where it is illegal to be a Christian, to own a Bible. You have revival breaking out in house churches all across these regions because God uses that. Because listen, persecution will teach you what matters most in life. Like in America, we have all these comforts and all these distractions and we have all these options when it comes to our faith. But over there, when you got Jesus and that's all, that's all that you need. It prioritizes what matters. It, it purifies your motives. You experience God's presence like you never have before. And it purges the church of people who claim to be Christians but actually aren't. People say, oh, the church is dying. The church is closing. People are leaving the church left and right. Maybe, or maybe they were never part of the church, the true church to begin with. Because if a little persecution is going to get you to deny your faith, if just because you lose a popularity contest means you're going to be silent for Jesus, then maybe you were never part of the true church to begin with. Maybe you were a casual Christian, but you weren't actually a committed Christian. And the moment that Christianity lost its cultural benefits, there was nothing else for you to gain anymore. And so you jumped and abandoned ship. Maybe you weren't actually, actually a Christian in the first place. See, John actually talks about this, the apostle. Thinking back, I would assume probably to this reference, he, he writes this. He says, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been a part of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us that it might be plain to all that they were not actually, are not of us. Persecution purifies your heart, your motives, and it reveals what always has been inside. It's like pressure. Like when pressure comes upon you, it doesn't change you, it reveals you. It reveals what's actually on the inside. And as like a fire pressing down on gold, all of the impurities will rise to the top and only the true gold will be left at the end. That's what persecution does. And so when you see culture and, and the society and everything's trending opposite, don't be like, oh no, it's going wrong. What's happening? God is preparing us for a move that is going to reach hundreds or thousands and millions of people because it's a blessing. Listen, when the world is at its worst, that's when the church is at her best. When the world is dark, that's when the church shines bright. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. And when the world is at its darkest, that's when we begin to shine. Because right now, there are people who are waking up. What are blind are now, they're, they're being able to see what was dead is now alive. What is lost is being found. Because people are looking for truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we will come to him. They experience the goodness and the fullness and the truth that is of the gospel. And so during the darkest of seasons, that's when we shine the brightest. And when the world is at its worst, that's when we are at its best. Do you know what the fastest growing churches in America are? It's interesting. If you go and you just Google it, fastest growing churches, conservatives. 
conservative churches. Churches who embrace a progressive ideology, a progressive theology, and they begin to affirm everything except for the Bible and welcome anyone but the Holy Spirit. Those churches are declining because they're, they're preaching a message that is not found in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit cannot bless what is born out of disobedience. But churches like ours who stand on the word of God, who hold up the word of God, who live under the authority of God as the final rule in their life and their doctrine and their practices, interestingly enough, even though it's not popular, conservative churches, evangelical conservative churches are the fastest growing churches in America. Do you, do you know why? Because, well, because God uses persecution as a tool to be able to grow his church. It's a blessing in disguise. So don't worry about what the world says. Just worry about what God says. He'll take care of you. Like the church has been here for 2,000 years. Okay, we're not going anywhere. We've been here for 2,000 years, and if the Lord shall tarry, we'll be here for another 2,000 years. But I believe that he's coming back, and he's probably coming back soon. If not, you know, we're a step closer today than we were yesterday, so get ready, because one day he will come back. I don't know when, but I do know that he will. And for 2,000 years, here's what the church has done. The church has continued to grow. Kings and queens have come and gone, but the church of Jesus Christ remains. Religion and ideologies have risen and fallen, but the church of Jesus Christ remains. Nations and empires have come and gone, but the church of Jesus Christ remains. And if he ain't back tomorrow in 10,000 years, we'll still be here because this is a church that God grows. Jesus builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's a story out of... Uh, World War II about uh, Joseph Stalin. It was created something known as the League of the Militant Godless. It's an atheist, communistic regime designed to destroy the church in Russia. That was their job. And he assigned a general over it and he tasked him to burn down and kill Christians. Two years later, he reports back and he asks him, how come the church isn't destroyed? Here's what he said. Because Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. Because it reveals the presence of God. It drives us deeper into the glory of God. It, it purifies our motives. And in some cases, it purges the church from people who don't actually possess the faith that they profess. Persecution is a gift. And it's one of the tools that God uses to grow his church. Number three, it's the, the preaching of the gospel. So, so they pray and then they experience massive persecution. So what do they do? Acts 4, Acts 8, 4. Here's what it says that happens next. Those who had been scattered, they preached the word on Sunday mornings between the hours of 9 and 11 o'clock. Is that what your notes say? They, they preached the word. They preached the word. Where? In the nice fancy building that they raised money for in their generosity campaign. Is that what it says? What does it say? Where does it say they preach the word at? Say it again. Oh. Everywhere. To everyone. Anywhere. At any time. What God is doing here is he's transitioning the church from a place that people go to a people who are being sent. We need to recognize that the church is not a place. 
The church is a people. The church is not somewhere we go. The church is who we are. Church is not an activity. Church is an identity. It's not where we go. It's who we are. It's not a place. The church is a people. Where were they preaching the gospel? Everywhere. Now, you might think this is interesting, but if you go back to the verse before, it says that as they all scattered, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. If the apostles are in Jerusalem, who's doing the preaching? You are. That's you. You're the one who who goes. We have to get over this idea that because I'm on a platform, I'm more important than you are. I'm more gifted than you are. As if I have direct access to God that you don't have. See, the reality is my job is to serve you and then your job is to be sent out to be able to witness to people where you're at. I don't, I don't have the most important job in this church. You know who does? We all do. I have mine, you have yours. I have my role, you have yours. And my role is to help you help others experience life change through Jesus. And that's not something that happens on a Sunday. That happens every day. Life change doesn't happen in the lobby. Life change happens in the living room. It happens in the workplace. It happens at the gym. It happens at the coffee shop. It it happens when you're hanging out with your friends on a Friday night. Church is not a place that we go. It's a people who are being sent. It's you and me reaching people where they're at. And so we got to get over this idea that church is a building. Okay, here's what I tell my, my kids. It's on a Monday morning. When I wake up, they're, they're going to school, and they say, Daddy, are you going to work? And I say, yes. Because I do not teach them that this place is a church. So on Mondays, I say, hey, Daddy has to go to work. Because I don't want my kids to confuse church for a place versus a people. So on Sundays, hey, we're going to, hey, let's go to church. Because the church is the people. And the staff is not the church. We are the church. This is a building. Like, let me show you. Like, this is a building. That's a building. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. Praying for it before we hit five, 15 services, all right? Hey, we got, we, got so much, we got so many energy drinks in the back. Like, if we don't get 15 services, I'm going to get kidney cancer, all right? <laughs> My kidneys are going to shut down, all right? But look, this is, our, this is our future building. But this is not the church. This is just a place. This is the church. When we are all worshiping together, that is the church. It's the people that make the church. Like, that's just a building, but, but this is the church. 
Like this is what happens when we serve our community. Turkey Day giveaway. We're going to give away 500 turkeys feeding over 5,000 people in Southeast Texas. This is the church. When you're building friendships outside of the walls of this church, that is the church. Look, this is the church. When you're working at the refineries covered in grease with a hard hat on in that back room, living out the message of Jesus, you are the church. This is the church when you're on vacation with your kids you're teaching them about the kingdom of God this is the church this is the church it's a it's a mom who's holding her brand new baby and she's watching online but she's still a part of the church and we're the church when we serve her by sending her food and meal preps and providing for the family for that first week when they're home and they're off of work and we're loving them by texting them. You're being the church. This is the church. Friday night with friends praying dominoes. That is the church. This is the church dedicating two babies. That, that couple right there, they're in my small group. They were baptized the week before. And then the next week, they dedicate their children to the Lord. That's the church. This is one of our missionaries from Africa. He sent me this picture this week. He's serving. But that's the church. He's a part of us. That's the church when we baptize. When we see lives change, like this is the church. Like this is a building, but this is the church. You got to recognize that church is not a place. It's a people. It's not somewhere you go. It's people who are being sent. It's not an activity or something you do. It's an identity. It's who we are. It says they preached everywhere they went. Do you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus? That's not my job to reach him. It's your job. That's what the church does. We help people experience life change through Jesus. And so we can't always expect them to come to us. But God does expect us to go to them. So, so what does the church do? Like three things. Let me show you. First, church worships. We, we praise God. We worship God. Does worship happen on a Sunday? It It does but it also happens on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and every day that ends with a Y <laughs> because that's why we were created. We were made to worship God, to glorify him in everything we do. As a mom, you're worshiping God with that, those kids. As a dad, you're worshiping God. As a husband, as a wife, your marriage glorifies God. At the workplace, you're glorifying God with what you do as you work. Everything we do is to be done for the glory of God. And that's what worship is. And as we worship, what happens? Inevitably, we begin to witness. What is, what is to witness? It's to share your faith. It's to evangelize. It's to tell a story. Invite somebody for coffee. Answer questions. Invite somebody to church. Whatever it is, we are to worship. And that overflows into a life of witnessing. Right now there's a false dichotomy, I believe, that's happening. And people are always like, who does the church exist for? Is it only for Christians or is it only for the lost? Is it about discipleship or is it about evangelism? Why can't it be about both? Like we worship God, that's our vertical. 
and then we witness to the world, that's horizontal. And I think when we do those both correctly, it begins to look a lot more like the way Jesus lived. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. So it's not all about going deep. It's also about going wide. From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The church could not stay in Jerusalem or else you wouldn't be here today. The church had to break out of its norms. It had to break out of its comfort zones. It had to get out of a location and become a movement. It had to stop being about a place and it started being about the people. And here's what I believe. If we worship God and we witness to others, we will welcome the lost. If we learn to be a church that worships and a church that witnesses, inevitably we'll be a church that welcomes People are going to see it, they're going to be drawn to it, and they're going to come, and they're going to hear the message, and they're going to respond by giving their life to Jesus. Why? Because we worship God everywhere, and we witness to everyone, and then we'll become a place that welcomes anyone. Let me show, let me show you just some math real quick, all right? So our church is about 600 people. On any given Sunday, last week we had 612, the week before we had... 698. Um, this week will be over 600 again. But let's just say for the sake of the day, we'll just say 600. And every person in this room has a circle of influence of 12 people. Do you know 12 people? Okay, between work and between, you know, your family, friends. We all know probably 12 people on a weekly basis that we'd have some sort of interaction with. I want you to see the difference between thinking about church as a place versus a church that's a people, right? This is, this is a mindset shift that I'm trying to introduce to you throughout this Acts series. And so if we think that church is, the only time we're doing ministry is on a Sunday morning, then the max we'll be able to reach is 600 people. But let's flip it and let's develop a mindset that we are the church. Well, if every person has the potential to make a gospel impact on 12 people per week, that means 7,200 people have the possibility to hear about Jesus on a weekly basis. But let's say we don't just limit that to Sundays, but every day, and we make it a lifestyle. That means over a course of 52 weeks, our church alone, this is not including the other amazing churches in Southeast Texas. I'm talking about our church, Redemption Church, has the potential to have a gospel impact of 374,400 people every year. This isn't growth by addition. This is growth by multiplication. This is what happens when you stop thinking, I just need to go to church, and you start thinking, oh, I'm being sent out to be the church to my friends and to my families and to those who are around me. This is why the church grows. Not by getting people to come to us, but by us going to them. You have to get it. I don't have the most important job in this church. You do. Because you'll reach more people with your life than I ever will. Like people have to come and hear me. But you get to go and be with them. Like, I can't, I can't go home and teach your kids about Jesus, right? You can, though. Like, I, I can't go to work with you and tell your friends about Jesus, right? But you can. I, 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 can't, 
I can't do what you can do, and I can't reach the people you can reach, but I can help you reach them, and I can celebrate you whenever they do. Listen, the church doesn't grow because of the talents of a few, but the sacrifices of the many. It's not a holy man on the stage, but it's, it's you and me and, and, and him and her and all of us living for the glory of God in our everyday lives that is going to be the witness to the world around us. Church is so much bigger than a building. It's about you and me being the kingdom of God to everyone we meet. It's the preaching of the gospel. Number four, it's the power of miracles. Okay, look what happens in this next section. Here's what it says. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. We're in the Samaritan ministry now. When the crowds heard Philip, they saw the signs he performed and they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, what happened? Impure spirits. Those are demons. Philip is casting out demons. Now, I don't have time to get into that today because next up is at 2 o'clock. So here's what I decided to do. Next week, I'm preaching an entire sermon on demonology. An entire sermon dedicated to demons, possession, oppression, spiritual warfare, casting out demons and our culture. And so bring a friend. It's going to be fun. <laughs> but leave your snakes at home. All right. And many were paralyzed and the lame were healed. Now, we actually met Philip a, a few weeks ago. He's one of the seven that were called to, be, uh, serve, to serve. We met him along with Stephen. He's one of the seven. Listen, Philip was just an ordinary guy. This is not the disciple Philip that's mentioned in the Gospels. This is Philip um, that is chosen to be a deacon. This is a guy who serves the church. He, actually, the Greek word would be the one who waits tables. That's what it is. So he was just a normal guy on the serve team, probably was working in the parking lot. Maybe he was on the production team. Uh, maybe he was on the care team because he was over benevolence and serving the widows. So he might have been bringing banana nut bread muffins to, you know, people who were homebound or sick. That, that's, that's Philip. But yet, what is Philip doing? Not only is he preaching with authority, performing miracles, healing the sick, He's casting out demons. If you're going to come to redemption and call redemption home, there's one thing you should know about us is we believe in the full operation of the miraculous and the spiritual gifts. If you want to learn more about it, you can come join us on First Wednesday. We're doing a whole teaching through the Holy Spirit, focusing right now on the spiritual gifts. But, but we believe this. Like when I read this, I, I believe it. And I pray for it and I want to see it. Now, some of you, that's normal. You grew up in those types of churches. Others of you, it's new. Maybe you grew up in a, in a church that taught the opposite of this. And you, you, you come from a faith tradition that would be called a cessationist. Now, cessationism means that the, the miraculous gifts we read about in the Bible have ceased and they're no longer available for the church today. And one of their premises on teaching this would, would say that the miracles were only to authenticate the ministry of the apostles. And now that the church has been established and the Bible has been written, 
we no longer need the miraculous or the manifestative gifts of the Spirit. And I understand that, and I would love to agree with that, except for Philip was not an apostle. The apostles were in Jerusalem. Philip's down in Samaria. And yet, what is he doing? He's laying hands on the sick and they're being healed. He's praying over those who are being tormented and they're getting delivered from impure spirits. And he's praying and miracles are happening and it opens up an opportunity for the gospel to be preached in a place where it's never been declared before. This is what happens when the church embraces the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would say that in our day, this is what really, I believe the next season of church growth is going to center around churches that are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if you look at our world, it's increasingly moving away from an atheistic worldview of a closed natural system. And it's moving into a supernatural worldview where everything's like angels and demons and ghosts and tarot cards and, uh, and people praying to crystals. Why is witch talk trending on TikTok? And why is Gen Z so obsessed right now with manifesting their dreams? Why? Because they're looking for a power that the church has neglected to tell them about. True power comes not from, not from, uh, from counterfeit miracles, but from the Holy Spirit as we pray and we're filled and it overflows. What God creates, Satan counterfeits and many people are falling for a counterfeit because they're looking for power and the church has abdicated its teachings on it. We've been trying to be like, hey, no, just come to our church. We're a cool church. We're not like them. We're not weird in any sense. Listen, I just tell you, at, at Redemption, we're kind of weird. Yeah. Right? We're kind of weird. Like, like we, we, we speak in tongues here. Like, there's no way to make that sound cool. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Like, we believe in a virgin birth. That's weird. We believe that Jesus resurrected after three days. Come on, that's weird, right? And we believe he's coming back riding on a white horse with fire in his eyes and a sword in his hand and a tattoo down the side of his leg that says, King of King, Lord of Lord. Like, that's kind of weird, right? Like, we got to stop realizing that Christianity is just not cool. It's really not. And, 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 and the more we try to act like the world, the less we're going to be able to reach them. Like, there's just aspects that, that I believe that as a, as a church, we, we need to lean into rather than try to justify like, 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 we've abdicated the Holy Spirit from the power that he has given us. Like, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses. The miracles confirm the message. They point towards the Savior. And right now, I think here's what we need as a church. We need, we need more power, and I, I just think we need less programming. I, I'm not against programs. What's, what's a program? It's an event. It's a schedule. It's a class. It's a group. It's maybe some sort of system or some kind of marketing. Like, I'm not against those things, but those can't be the primary agent for the church to grow in. 
I think we need more, more power than more programs. Like that's the way we used to reach people. Like if you want to reach somebody, we would start a new ministry or a new program. Maybe we'd have, you know, an outreach here and like a, a feeding here and some mercy ministry here. And we'd start an underwater basket weaving club for some people. And, and then, you know, then we would have all these additional programming. Hopefully people are going to come to our church. That ain't nothing but swapping sheep. That's like, oh, this church has this ministry. My church doesn't have that ministry. I'm going to go to that church instead. And instead of reaching the lost, we're just reaching Christians. Like, I'm, not, I, I'm, not, I'm not about that. Like, we need power. Power to see people healed. Power to see miracles happen. Power to reach the lost. Power to preach the gospel. Paul says, I didn't come to you with eloquent words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of power. Jesus says, you receive power and you'll be my witnesses. We need more power, less programs. We need more anointing and less, less advertising. Come on, we need, we need more miracles and less marketing. We need a church. That is filled with the power of God. So we can reach people who are far from God. So come back next week. We'll talk all about demons. It'll be great. <laughs> Which leads to number five as we close. The praise of people. Like what, what happens when we begin to grow like God suggests, like God teaches, like God's word would imply. What happens? How does the church grow? Through prayer, through persecution, through the proclamation of the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we put all those things together, look what happens in chapter 8, verse 8. What does it say? And there was great joy in the city. Who thinks Beaumont could go for a little bit more joy? Who thinks Southeast Texas could experience a little bit more joy? Where's my Beaumont people? Any joy? Who, who, what about Orange? Could Orange go for some more joy? What about Mid-County? Anybody? Get some more joy out there? Lumberton people, I know you need joy. There we go. How about Vider? Could Vider go for some joy? You know it, right? Bridge City. I could go down the list. Could you imagine what would happen if, if Southeast Texas would experience the fullness of Jesus and would overflow with joy? Do you know that a few years ago, Southeast Texas was voted the most depressed city in America? Did you know that there's people Maybe at your job or your workplace. Maybe there's somebody in this room. Maybe a person sitting next to you. They don't have joy or peace or hope. But it's our job, our calling, to be that source for them not to be the source because Jesus is the source but to be the one who helps them find it in Christ like I, I, I just I just think about the region we live in the city and why, why does God want the church to grow 
because he wants to see more lives changed. If, if what we believe is the way that we believe, then we have a responsibility to bring hope, to bring about peace, to share the message of Jesus so that everybody can experience the joy that he brings. When you begin to experience that, it begins to overflow into the lives of around you. Like, what would happen if there was a church that was so filled with joy that when you went to work, people say, well, what is it? What is it about what you got? When you, when you went to the college campus and you're living out your faith in the dorms, so what do you have when you go home and your husband who's not coming to church on Sunday because he's not a believer yet said yet because you're going to be a witness to him he's going to say what's different about you he said let me tell you about Jesus and you don't have to come to my church for me to tell you about who my God is I'm telling you right now begins to spread. The city is rejoicing because God showed up in the most unlikely of places to the most unlikely of people through the most unlikely of situations and circumstances because the church stopped going church and started going as the church and it began to reach people that no one was reaching because it was willing to go places that nobody was going and it culminated in a great joy in the city I don't know about you but that's my prayer for us at Redemption I don't know about you throughout this message series or where you're at in your faith. But after about 24 weeks in, I'm reading this and I'm just like, guys, we got a long way to go. I guess they say we got a lot of room to grow. Like, do you ever like read the Bible and just be like, something's missing? Like when I read the book of Acts, I'm just like, salvation and baptism filled with the Holy Spirit. Person got healed, they're thrown in prison. An angel sets them free, right? I'm just like arrested again, beaten, persecuted. Uh, miracle happened, healing. Like I read it and I'm just like, their church looks so different than ours in America. I'm like, why? Do they have something we didn't have? I would actually say they had more than we have. They had less than we have. We have more than they did. We have 12 Bibles on our shelves collecting dust. We have access to the internet. We can Google any question that we have. You can go to Amazon and you can buy any book that's ever been written. We can listen to worship music on our car and in our shower. We can download it in a podcast from the best preachers all around the world. And yet you're, you're still so discouraged when it comes 
to evangelizing lost, to sharing your faith. You feel so defeated when it comes to your spiritual walk and your growth in Christ, and you're not confident in who God has called you to be. Maybe it's time for us to get back to the basics. Just the Holy Spirit in each other. What did they have? They had the Holy Spirit, and they had each other. And yet God used it to change the world. And here's what I I believe, and I believe it to be true, is if God did it then, he can do it now. If God did it for them, he can do it for us. And God wants to, God can grow us again. Because the book of Acts isn't just about what happened. It's about what happens when the church becomes the church. Who's excited to be a part of a church that is growing? Who wants to see the church grow? Who wants to see more people meet Jesus, more lives be changed, more people be baptized, more babies be dedicated, more addictions be broken? Who wants to see the church grow? I wanna do it God's way. And listen, at Redemption, it's not about the numbers for me. Like, do I want the church to grow? Yes, I do. But I wanna do it God's way. Because what matters most is not the size of a church. What matters most is the heart of the church. Are we doing it God's way or are we trying to do it our way? Are we growing the way God desires for us to grow? Because it's not the size that matters, it's the heart. And that's why we're spending the rest of the year studying through the book of Acts so we can develop a heart of the church that we read about in Acts.